This session is called Making It Work from Setting Goals to Organizing Your Day. And as Joe said, um, Sue is a very experienced uh, dance writer. She covers just about everything under the sun, but particular interests she has, has would be health, parenting, education, book reviews. She does um, a regular column in the Examiner, Beginner's Pluck. And she's also more recently turned her talents to ghostwriting. And I don't know if she's going to tell us anything about that, but that's one thing she does. She published a book in 2010, Keys to the Cage, which is um, about individual stories of dealing with depression, which is a very topical issue. She also finds time to be a consultant with the Inkwell Writing Group. And there are probably other things I don't even know about her. So I'm going to hand you over to Sue now. Hi everybody. Um, I did a similar lecture to this five years ago in 2008 and I have to say reading my notes back from that time I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry because all my advice was then, you know, knowing that journalists are really bad at asking for money and bad for getting their money up, I was just really emphasising you have got to ask for a raise, you have got to question the rate. In my defence it worked, it worked all the time. I used to get raises, you know, you could, in those wonderful heady days, the only thing stopping you from making loads of money was time. You could work 24 hours a day if you had, there was so much work. And at one stage I was approached by the male to be a um, full-time health writer with them, and the money was way less than I was earning as a freelance. Um, it's not the same anymore. Um, so I think this time I'm going to emphasize, really, if you're gonna keep in journalism, and, and, I, and I'm not technical. It's, I was absolutely fascinated by the last one. I am not technical. I like to write. I just like to write. I like to be a writing journalist covering as many interests I can. So can you make it work still? Well, the answer is yes, you can. You can make a living. Not a brilliant living anymore. But you can still make a living. So I think the important thing now is to make a good lifestyle while you're making that living. Because when the recession first hit, beginning of 2009, um, two things happened to me. I had, I had a crisis going on at home which didn't help, but I lost two of my editors I've been working with happily for years um, left. I lost a column that was very lucrative, um, and I didn't have the energy to go in and fight my corner. Um, the other one that left was the books in the Irish Examiner, which is my passion, so I sorted that out. But basically my income suddenly dropped by one and a half grand overnight. <coughs> And my first sort of, you know, I, I don't know whether anybody else is the same, but my nightmare is waking up on a Monday morning and not having any work. Never happened, but I'm always so afraid that it will. And so when I found myself having, instead of having 10, 20 commissions, you know, just ongoing, that suddenly there was three, I started writing slower, thinking, I'd better take time over this. And then I did actually pull myself together and realised that was crazy. And then I sort of got this new, it's a bit polyamorous, but okay, you have to make the, a, an opportunity out of the recession. So I looked at all those things that I'd always said I wanted to do, and I'd never had time because in the, in the good days I didn't even lift my head. If I was going on holidays, I'd work all night before I went. I worked weekends, I worked evenings, I never saw my family. I was actually probably a horrible person. Um, so I thought, well, okay, one of the other things I've always wanted to do, well, the first one was I've always wanted to write a book. So when things were a little bit quieter, I was still, by the way, I picked myself up. I was throwing out ideas and I had, you know, enough work. 
But I approached an agent with a couple of ideas. The main one being this book about depression, because I was writing a lot about the health stuff. I kept interviewing people who were going through it. Um, and it occurred to me that, that um, I'm not going to talk about the book, but it occurred to me there was a niche for people's own experience. They would make them the experts. So it didn't make me a lot of money. It was published with New Island. Um, but it was one of those things I've always wanted to do. I had that ambition. I had my book launch. And it, it, I'm very, very pleased that I did that. The other thing I decided I wanted to do was to be a ghostwriter. And literally, it was as easy as ringing around the publishers. And I got two commissions immediately. And I actually ended up writing three books in nine months, which was probably not a very good idea. Um, so I think this is really what we all have to sort of say to ourselves is what do I really want to do and this is perhaps the time that I can do it um, you know I'm kind of coming to an NUJ meeting sorry NUJ but the, the message was you better go and find yourself something else to do you're not going to make money out of being a journalist you know it was, it was when it first did it quite tough so I think you just have to think laterally and get focused and keep going and pursue your dreams so okay if you want to have a nice lifestyle the first thing to do is remember why you wanted to be a journalist in the first place what did you dream that you wanted to do was it be on television was it do the radio was it was it write that book was it be a sports journalist and just focus as much time and energy on getting into that area as you can because then at least you will enjoy your life I mean with me it is books every week I interview one maybe two authors huge ones you know lovely and you get given a glass of wine to talk to them about mm -hmm. a book 20 books arrive in my house every day. Um, I'm paid to read every single book that I... I don't read 20 a week, but, you know, I'm, I'm 10 a week, but I'm paid to read every book I read. You get invited to festivals, you do public interviews, you're friends with authors, you get to book launches, and I love that life. So at least that's probably a third of my journalistic life I'm passionate about. I absolutely love it. And I had to work quite hard to get into that at the beginning just by telling an editor I was doing feature talk, this is what I really want to do. So I think everybody has to keep their dream at the front of their mind. And whenever they're doing, every time they meet an editor, say, this is what I really want to do. But you're not going to make a living out of, well, you might, out of that one passion. Good for you. Teach me if you can. Um, so the second thing is to know what your strengths are. My strengths are probably interviewing people it's, and it's getting case histories. I get more work because I'm good at getting case histories than for any other reason. So you, you actually tell editors that. You know, when you're pitching, you say, I'm the person to do this because. Um, and you just, just trade on whatever it is. Maybe your strength is that you have an opinion about anything and can write about it in 20 minutes. Maybe it's that you're a friend with every A and B this celebrity in Ireland and they'll all talk to you so you can get wonderful profiles whatever it is make sure your editor knows because you know maybe they're having conversations and they want you know about you and you want them all to know that I am the person you should use for that sort of thing there's another third thing is bread and butter stuff you're not going to you know it's all very well having pieces in the Indo pieces in the exam or wherever the hell you, you, you have them that with rates being, as everyone has said, absolutely dire these days, you need more. So where can you make your bread and butter money? What else can you do? 
don't forget there are loads and loads of specialist magazines out there. Um, Owen Corey at one of these things was talking about a fridge magazine that we're looking for a writer. I mean, you know, nobody wants to write about a fridge, but we all can. I mean, I've written about bathrooms. All you have to do is talk to an expert. You know, we can all do that stuff. And some of these magazines, some pay nothing, some pay very, very well. So don't forget all of that. Maybe you could teach. Maybe you could do some PR for somebody. Maybe you could do some business writing. I did that for some friend last year, and he paid me quite handsomely. Um, it went in as a, um, he had to pay to have it in the, the, the magazine, but you know, that was tough, but that was fine. There are people who need someone to write clearly. They want an advertorial, that's the word, isn't it? You know, you could maybe do a bit of that. So just sort of think of all these different things that you could be doing. Um, and oh, the, oh, the, another thing, just, just to give you an example of make sure your editor knows, Oh gosh, probably 10 years ago, Peter Cavosso, was, who is still, I think, Peter's editor of The Independent, was giving the pitching thing at, in here. And I was working for The Herald at the time, and I had worked for The Independent in the past. But I'd been ringing Peter with various ideas, and he sort of fobbed me off, and I wasn't getting anywhere. And at, this, at the forum, he was talking about the freelancers that he used and why he used them. I use this one because she's very funny, I use this one because whatever. And I went up to him at the end of the meeting and I handed him my card and I said, you need me. And he said, why? And I said, because I am brilliant at getting case histories. He ran me the next week and he gave me the most horrific commission I think I've ever had. Um, you've got to find six couples who've had unusual marriages, he said. One has to be married to somebody who's gay, one has to be... It was on the face of it impossible, but I said, fine. He didn't know it, but luckily I had a very, very good contact who actually turned out to be a con man, I think. He was running dream weddings, and it turned out he pretended to be at Eton, and he wasn't at all, and I think he got caught out in the end. But he had amazing contact, and managed to do the piece. I was in with Peter. Done. Worked with him very happily for a long, long time. So it's that sort of thing that I, that I really mean. Um, okay, so... How, oh, and the other things that you can do, sorry for bread and butter, um, Siobhan Ryan would, would be, I don't know whether you managed, you said your bit about, can, did you about doing everything for radio you've done in print? Yeah, double selling. Double selling. Double selling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that is a hugely good thing to do. She does it by doing it on the radio. I do it by rewriting pieces and, or taking an idea and using different case histories, but using the same idea for several publications. Again, in the good days, all my author interviews used to be rewritten for Woman's Way. Um, I still do some work for them, but you know it's not always possible. But it's always and, and, and using your case histories for something else as well can be good. So how do you actually make sure that you're going to make your living? Well, first of all, you decide how much you need to earn, and then you write it. It is literally as simple as that. It does work. It's worked for me for 15 years now. So at the beginning of the year, I mean, I'm earning less than I was, okay? So you, you take a drop, but you work out how much you are comfortable earning, maybe work out what your monthly outgoings are, and you come up with a figure. It could be 20, it could be 40, whatever. I'm going to talk about a gross figure of 30,000, okay? Nice in the middle. And I'm talking gross. This is the amount before tax after VAT. So you tell yourself, okay, I want to make 30,000 this year. Um, that comes to 2,500. My math isn't very good, but I know that comes to 2,500 a month, which comes to somewhere between 600 and 650 a week, which used to be in the good days two articles, maybe even one. These days is three, maybe even four. So you know, so that's doable. Anyone can do that. Um, 
But the thing is, you have to make sure you have enough commissions in order to do that. So what I do at the start of the month, it sounds terribly anal, but I actually do, I write down, well, I have the column, first of all, so that's so much that I know I'm going to be doing. Then I write down all the commissions I've already got, which hope, which in an average month probably covers a week and a half. And then I think, okay, I have to get, I have to get another 1,000 for the month. And so you then get into ideas mode. And once you're looking for ideas, they are simply everywhere. And the minute you get an idea, you fire it off. And you make sure that you've got at least a week of commissions to work on ahead. And it does work, I promise you. At the beginning and the good days, I went up by 10 grand every year. Almost to the letter at the end of the year. I bought, you know, I had earned exactly that. Okay, so that's planning ahead. Um, now, my advice on planning your day to get maximum benefit has changed. It would have been five years ago. Put your bum on the seat at 7 in the morning. Take it off at 7 at night and not before very often not even then. Um, I was very unkind to myself and to my family. Got RSI at one stage, you know, the works, didn't take any fresh air. Usually managed to get a swim at seven o'clock in my very swanky gym that I could afford in those days. Um, but, you know, it was, it was not really a good working life. Um, so, I'm a bit, it's a bit different this time. So this time really my, uh, you know, I am giving more advice about having, it's this nice lifestyle at which you can be productive at the same time. So, you know, you do need to plan in exercise time. You need to plan in meeting friends for coffee. You will always get an idea when you meet a friend for coffee or a case history or something. And I, networking itself, and I, networking is a horrible word, but I actually do go to the, my local networking meeting, which is run by the, um, I don't know, Enterprise Board. Because all those women who are at that meeting have got a company that they want, you, they want to be advertised. And sometimes you can really pick up amazing ideas. There was one woman who was cutting, she had this business where she cut, cut school books in half so that children could take just half a school book so that the, you know, so that the, the load in the backpack was less. And there was somebody else who had a slimming business and she herself had taken off 10 stone. Um, and there's a piece of her, you know, there's always somebody there. Um, the other thing um, is, sorry, hang on. Oh yeah, and I'm always in town about once a week interviewing and I will always make sure I have lunch with somebody or coffee with somebody. Just to keep your mind open, look after your friends, you know, just have a slightly nicer life. Um, and the other thing I think when you are organising your day, I mean this is, this is fairly basic, but you should know when you write at your best. Every, you know, and obviously if you have a deadline you have to write straight away, but know when that time is and always write at that time. For me it's sort of between 8 and 10 in the morning and I will always, I will write my best stuff then, my brain is fresh. That's, you know, that's when I will do that. Um, and also to know when your energy is your lowest because that's the time to do those dead tasks that you could do without thinking. Um, I'm almost ashamed actually to go through what my day is because it sounds horribly indulgent. But in this sort of cold weather, um, we had the heating on in the morning and a tank full of hot water that was going to go cold if I didn't have a bath. So I was getting into the bath at 10 o'clock in the morning with my Pat Kenny or whatever, with my mobile phone, checking Twitter, listening to Pat Kenny, and getting ideas. There was one day, by the time I got out of that bath, I'd actually got, I was actually 500 euro richer because I fired off ideas on my mobile and got commissioned. 
So that wasn't wasted time. It's lovely. You're lying there in the grass, seeing this is really indulgent. But you are working, actually. You can't do that if you actually work in an office, can you? I mean, this is the nice thing about freelance life. Um, get out of the bath with me after, say, half ten, and I do five minutes of Pilates, because there's no damn way I'm going to get RSI again. Mind myself these days. Um, I find 11 to 1, I mean, you organise your day, but I literally structure my day like this. 11 to 1 is research time. All my articles, that all my commissions are basically in plastic folders in the top drawer of a filing cabinet. I haul the whole lot out, um, in, put them in order of deadlines and which ones I've decided to do that week, and I go through them. What do I need? Do I need statistics on them? Who am I going to talk to? What expert do I need to talk to? What else do I have to do? And I do five at once. So I always research more than one article. It means that you're not twiddling your thumbs when the one person you need to talk to doesn't get back to you. And you know, and I will always try and work ahead because otherwise, if you're if you do it one at a time and you get to this very important one where you, the psychologist who is absolutely brilliant at giving you quotes is you, you suddenly discover he's away on holiday, you're stuck. So I always research as you know, regularly as soon as I can, just to make sure that I'm always up to speed on that. Um, hang on, where have I got to? Oh yeah, lunchtime. I read the papers, get up to speed, look at Twitter. Um, two o'clock is kind of more phone calls, chasing up anything that hasn't happened in the morning, maybe doing phone interviews with people that you've organised from the earlier, you know, you ring somebody, you want to talk to you, say, when is when are you free to talk? Maybe that's then. At three o'clock, I go for a run, a cycle, or a walk. Um, again, it's thinking time. Um, just to give you an example, the reason I didn't come in this morning is that I have a deadline. I was writing about um, love me, love my dog, about single women who put their dogs before their new men. You know, they have a dog, new relationship, but actually they love the dog more than the man. And I had tried Twitter, I tried Facebook, and I wasn't coming up with any case histories. And I, you know, I've been thinking about it in the morning, and I'd run a dog shop, and I'd run a dog parlour, and no joy. And on my run, I had two inspirations, because my brain was nice and free. One of them was dog walkers. There must be lots of young girls who like dog walking and they'd be into dogs. And the second one was, gosh, last year I interviewed a wonderful woman who put long-term breastfeeding. She was breastfeeding her four-year-old and it so happened she was a dog trainer. And so I went home and I got on to, I put in dog walking into Google and up came Gumtree and there were loads of ads and some of these beautiful girls, you know, they had pictures. So I rang one of these really pretty girls and said, I just don't want my dog walk, but do you actually own a dog? And yes, she owned a dog, and yes, she had a boyfriend, and yes, he did resent the dog. That was one case history. I rang the other girl, um, and I used her as my expert, because you know, this was the breastfeeding one who was a dog trainer. I said, I want, you know, what, what, what happens when a man, you know, can you, can you prepare a dog? Is there a problem? And she said, well, the problem tends to be because the dog is neglected, because he's not being walked, and you know, so on. So she gave good advice. And I said, do you know somebody who, um, I thought perhaps she'd be in a relationship herself by now, she's, but she's not unfortunately for her or for me. Um, but she did know the perfect person, article done. Wouldn't have happened if I just sat at my desk and thought, help, who can I use? Because it, it doesn't always. Um, low energy time, four o'clock, that's when I do my transcripts. 
you know, update websites, send out invoices, all that boring, boring stuff. I always do a dead time of day that otherwise I would be sort of just going to bed or something, you know, just not feeling like doing anything. Um, and then very often at five o'clock I will write an article. I will get it written, but I won't necessarily get it right because my brain doesn't work. Unless I have a deadline, I will never send that article in because in the morning, when my brain is nice and fizzy again, suddenly I can write it better in five minutes. But at least I've got the words down and it's there. And I very, I really do try to leave my desk at seven at night. I really try. I think that the thing that people don't tell you about being freelance is the hard thing is leaving on their desk, not getting to it. But I try. And okay, I've still got books to read for the, you know, the thing tomorrow. But that's my day. Um, I've more or less got through what I'm saying. Keeping accounts, you must do. <coughs> terribly, terribly boring, but to get that 30 grand down to 20 grand for the tax man, I tend to have 10,000 roughly expenses a year. It used to be far higher when I paid out for a car because those sort of things are quite tax effective. But you do have to keep those wretched invoices. You have to go through your handbag and just put them in a pile and shove them in an envelope and work out your petrol and all those really, really, really boring things. And you have to, you really do have to keep another account for your tax and VAT, otherwise you'll be completely flat, frankly. Um, having an online presence, yes. I think Twitter is fantastic, I think Facebook is fantastic, but I think you can spend too much time. I find Facebook is terribly, um, I try not to use it at all because I, you know, you go in there and, and two hours later you're still looking at somebody's photos. So I try not to, I, I, I heard that Kevin Barry and his wife lock their telephones into their cars in the morning because otherwise they'd get no work done at all. Um, that's a bit extreme. I wonder actually about blogs. I mean, I have a blog, but it's actually a website. But I do wonder about this. You know, I know writers always tell us you should have a blog. But writing for free, do we really want to do that? Which is basically what you're doing. I don't know. I, I, I mean, you have, I may have lines on that. And I expect they were talking about this before, but investing in your business, getting the best equipment, getting good equipment, <coughs> vital. A desk, you know, so that you're ergonomically right, the best machine, I have a little netbook because then, you know, I just throw it in my handbag whenever I come to do an interview and if I want to stay for a book launch I go into a hotel and I, you know, it's a portable typewriter, anything like that that helps you work, do it. Um, yeah, that's really about all. Questions, I hope. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. I think I'm going to have a lovely bath. I loved your breakdown of the day, and it made me see that I tend to be sitting in a chair that's reasonably ergonomic, but bent forward, I now realise, too long, and prevaricating on the internet, looking up things I don't yeah. need to look up. So I certainly think I can learn to you. I've got a question, and I'm sure other people will have. Could you just expand a little bit about the demand for ghostwriting? And what oh, kind yes. of money you can earn? For, I know you can't give specific figures, but some broad guidelines. Okay, well, um, I nearly got Katie Taylor. Oh, I so nearly got Katie Taylor. And that was going to be fantastic money. It was going to have to be written in two weeks, mind you. Um, it was only 40,000. Um, because the publishers really wanted a woman to do it, for the woman's touch, but the... Anyway, in the end, they wanted a sports writer, and that's fine. Still, I bet it would have sold better if I'd written it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I thought it was a bestseller, but maybe... No. 
No, it, 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 it's actually been used as an example of what it just didn't sound there. It won awards before it was published. I mean, you just saw it in all the yeah. books. No, so no, it, it, it actually, it actually was, was, did not sell. It was one of those prize not sellers. But that was, that was going to be with Simon and & Schuster. And I think I was going to get eight grand mm-hmm. for two weeks' work. That's not bad. No, it's not. Um, I go to Penguin, Penguin Island. Uh, it's a little less than that, but it's worth it. It takes me 12 weeks to go to book if I'm doing my journalism at the same time. And the second, the third one I did, because it's quite stressful at the end when you're editing and you've got to bring the whole thing together and they're shouting at you and, and you're also publishing your own book the same week and the edits are coming back on the second one. Oh, that was a nightmare. Um, I, I locked myself away for a week last time. It's the best thing I ever did. I actually locked myself in, in a hermitage in Glenderlock. Um, I, I have, I've now applied for Anna McCarrick and I can go there, but you know, it takes a while for you to be processed and it didn't come through. But so, so at the end, I locked myself away for it. Um, the process is, sorry to answer your question, I, don't, I haven't done celebrities, I've done health ones. Mm-hmm. The last one I did was, was with a healer who was a lovely man. And we used to meet in Glenderlock every week. He came over the mountain. He was dyslexic, which was a blessing. Because it's much easier if they don't think they can write, I think. Then the whole, you write the whole thing, but you don't have to fight about Oh, I think that should be, you know, it's just easier. So would sometimes the, the writer have invited comments to write anything at all? And yes, sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. And you then ask them questions on it and interview them again. Mm-hmm. So the process, I mean, it, it depends, and, and, and the start point is, is uh, the one I'm, I'm just in the process of starting off at the moment, um, where it came from an agent. The agent approach to me is that I have this incredible story so I'm at the pr- in the process at the moment of writing the um, proposal, which we're then selling. Mm-hmm. So that's a different way of doing it. Some people do private ghosting. Um, my friend Vanessa O'Loughlin tells me that you, char- you can charge 5,000 for private ghosting. Mm-hmm. So how would you go about trying to get the work? I mean, obviously you're well, well connected and known to agents and so on, so people could come to you. Exactly. I don't, I suppose, I don't know. I, I suppose you just put the word out there. That this is what you want to do. No. Is anyone any questions? Could you, you just approach a publisher and say, I want to go to write, or do you need to have a story or anything? Well, you see, in my case, I just approached them, but you know, I have been working with all these publishers um, over for probably 12 years. I know them because I interview authors and it all comes through them. So I'm talking to all the publishers every week anyway. I was in a very privileged position. And actually, the, the, my own book was, in effect, 15 mini-ghosts. My articles are mini I mean, I'm a, I'm an interview, I write interview-based features, so it was really expanding on what I do already. Um, yet you, well, you can try, you know, try approaching a publisher, yes. Would you need to have uh, a story to go to the list? You, you, you would if they didn't know you, yes. So, I mean, if you had a friend who had an amazing story and you thought, gosh, I could write this, um, I mean, what you what you would do is write a proposal, which is generally, this is why this book will sell. This is why you know this is what how we are going to do it. Here is my outline, and here are the first three chapters. And you would bundle that together and make it perfect, and then show it to the publisher. Yeah. And then when you're when you're ghostwriting, uh, as opposed to when you're writing things. A book of your own. Yeah. And um, is there <coughs> is there less of a workload in terms of ghostwriting, in terms of 
research primary resources, that type of thing? Or do you find it more work that you're finding someone else's someone else's story or something? Well, I, 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 I find it a complete joy. Um, except at the end. The end bit is always awful. The last time it has been so smooth. I had, I think I had exactly 12 weeks to do it and we've done it in 12 weeks and then the wife read it. For some reason she hadn't read it before and she demanded so many changes. And this was a read-through stage where it was meant to be read it through and off it goes. That's the moment when it's difficult when that was written difficult. for identified issues in the show. Yeah, I mean, but I mean the whole, it, it, you do have to remember that it's not your book. Yeah. That's the first thing. It is their book. And you are there to structure it and make it a story. But I get so much joy from, you know, structuring the book and grabbing the reader and making it a story and making it readable and all that sort of thing without having to make it up. Yeah. It's, it's actually bliss. <laughs> and when you have a nice interviewee, it is bliss. Um, the one I did before that, which I won't talk too much about, but I, I didn't actually terribly like the person and I didn't believe at all in what I was writing about. So that had its problems, but it's the same idea, you know, you're, you just are, it, it, you know, you're writing their story for them. Anybody else? Everybody must be a ghostwriter, clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, when you're out discussing bread and butter, yeah. the food on the table, that specialist magazines now there's probably so many magazines a load of people here wouldn't even have heard of some of them sure. so maybe you might just mention well, some that might sound very boring that people might have heard of but they might well, get I, I'm actually not the best I mean I'm, I'm not very good at do it, to do that I think if you go to Easton's and look at the titles and then ring around because I, I the answer is I don't know that but I do work for um, a fairly small magazine I work for the Redemptorist actually and I started off with them um, before I was really a journalist, when I was writing short stories and I was doing little bits and my children were still very much at home and I didn't have much time. And this, you could, at the time this magazine was taking funny sort of little bits and pieces and you'd get paid, if you were a journalist, 40 euro or 40 pounds it would have been then, a long time ago. And I did a few things for, for, for this editor. And then um, when he noticed that I was getting published all over the place, he ran me and said, I'd like to actually employ you as a journalist and I'll pay you properly. And, and I started writing regularly for him. And then he introduced this teenage magazine, and I started writing for that as well. And I could have to tell you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm involved in the examiner debacle, which some of you may know about, which means that we're a little bit poor at the moment. Suddenly, three months' salary is not there from that particular paper, which is most of my income. If it wasn't for this other magazine, I had five articles in there this month. So there's a great boost. Something like that, which is very low profile. I love doing it, the teenage stuff. I just go out to schools and interview teenagers and for the others, I've been interviewing people about the post, you know, all that sort of stuff. I love doing it. It's all interview-based stuff. And it pays, he pays as well as he ever did, or as badly as he ever did, but it's better than the papers. It's regular stuff. That's what I mean. It's finding somewhere, which your friends aren't going to read about it. You're not going to be glorified to the skies or whatever, but it is regular money. That is my little bit of regular money. Uh, and I, I, I was, I'm sorry I can't answer that, but I just told us how to find it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, actually, the back of the IPA diary lists all magazines, or nearly all magazines in Ireland. The trouble, the, the trouble with that magazines in Ireland um, is a lot of them don't pay anything. I know. We're talking England, aren't we? Are we? Sorry? 
I mean, I mean, the specialist magazines were probably too much to get money. Are we talking England? Do you know? Yeah, well, they pay regular anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I find I write for one, and I get paid almost the magazine comes one day and the check comes the next day. It's very boring. Yeah, I don't think that matters. I mean, as I say, writing about bathrooms is the most boring thing I've ever done, but that actually paid me really well. Um, back in the day. Yeah. Okay, any more comments? <coughs> Can I just ask about the ghostwriting? Yeah. Um, when the book is published, um, are you completely anonymous or is it Joe Blum with Sue It depends entirely on who it is. The first one I did, which for legal reasons never got published, it was, it was a cancer case. It was a, I'm so proud of that book, and it's such a shame, actually. It was someone who, it was a, a, a girl who'd been on the Late Late Show, and she'd had a, been misdiagnosed in Limerick. It turned out she also was a teenage mum, and she'd come from one of the worst estates in Limerick, and she'd been a model, and she was gorgeous. I loved doing that piece. It was ready to print, and her lawyer actually sued the publishers and said, if you publish that book, I'll sue you, because she hasn't settled the case yet. It was a very weird one. So it's still sitting on ice. But in that case, it was going, I had my name on it. I was going to have my name on it. Penguin liked me to not be there at all. But the ghostie very often, you know, I mean, the last ghostie lesson, there was a whole spiel about, thank you so much for the powers that be for sending me to Leonard, who used her powers to write this book. And, and the whole speech at the launch was all thanking me. Bless him. Um, but so it's a, it's a strange thing. I mean, Penguin, actually, to be fair to them, have always thanked me hugely at the launch as well but you sort of you're not meant to be there and yet you are and I think the, I put the first one I did with Penguin I think I put it up on my skill pages or something and I told to take it off again very firmly because in that case the ghost you thought she had written her own book <laughs> <laughs> so it depends the Katie Taylor one was going to be very much uh, I think that was going to be a strange one because the Penguin, you don't even have a contract. And I paid as a journalist and then told to piss off. It's a monthly thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Simon Schuster one was going to be, I was going to have a, because we, we, we talked contracts. I mean, I nearly spent the money. It was, it was really sad. Um, I was going to have a contract, but not royalties, I think. Um, but the guy who actually, and, and my name is going to be nowhere, but the guy who did it, I think, fought to have his name somewhere. I think it was in tiny letters somewhere. But they, they really like to pretend that the person wrote it, which when the person says I'm dyslexic and I can do it, it's really quite a stretch. But it is, I mean, I, I, I'm amazed at how much I love ghostwriting. It's, um, oh, I mean, the one I'm doing at the moment, which I can't talk about, but it, it's, it's so emotive and people are telling you, in this case, sitting with two people and they're telling you stuff they've never told each other. You spend half your life in tears. But, you know, that's good for you. Mm. I mean, you said you love doing book reviews and you do a lot oh, of work. Oh, Yeah, is there much work there or have you got all the work and there's none left? <laughs> I've got it all. <laughs> um, there is less than there was. I, the examiner bless them and I know I've had huge problems with them and we all have. And, Hopefully they, they are going to survive. I, I, I think they probably will. Um, but yeah, I, I guess not. I have, I'm working for my fifth book editor. I had to work very hard um, 
I remember going to see him. This was when this was, you know, he, the book editor was one of the ones who'd left at the beginning of the recession. I took myself off to Cork and I said, Will you meet me? And it's a lovely guy called Jack Power who's been there forever. And I arrived and he said, oh, I'm too busy to have coffee with you. Come into the book cupboard. And he took me into this little tiny cupboard. And he had all these books and he threw a few at me and said, oh, review these, would you? And he said, oh, I don't like book interviews. I don't actually like books very much. And I thought, oh, right, this is going to be a hard, you know, a hard job. I discovered he liked fishing and I chatted him up a bit. And um, he got on like an ice on fire. I, I, I sent him sort of love letters. I, you know, the other day I sort of said, um, Deborah McGough's got a new book out. Um, I, you know, she saved my life when I was a new mother. You know, I, um, I used to take, take a day off work and lie on my tummy and read all day. And if I hadn't done that, my sanity would, would you know, would have been sh- shot. You've got to let me interview her. And you know, you get an answer. Well, oh, hasn't I refused? You know, he's refused. Um, and he gave me the column. But it, but yeah, I, I've worked hard at that. And I don't think there are many author, not many author interviews in the Irish Times anymore. I don't think are there. Fran. No? Is anyone anything else they'd like to say? Uh, Well then can I ask Joe Cunningham who's hiding at the back to come and wrap up the proceedings for the day? Can I thank the both of you please?